As you can see, we're starting a new series. This um, book, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, a Mr. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, um, really was one of the most influential stories of the 19th century. And it was exploring this idea um, of hypocrisy. It's exploring this idea that in one body, two seemingly very different people can exist, right? Have you, most of you familiar on some level with, with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Um, yeah, okay. I think, I think you, as I talk a little more, you'll, you'll jump straight in. Um, it's, it really examined this idea of the battle between good and evil that goes on inside of us. Anybody battled some good and evil inside yourself? I know I have. Um, I think most of the biblical characters that we see in scriptures battled their good and evil. You know, the, the, the ones that we put up like as, as you, know, you know, this is who we want to be, this is who we want to follow, they battled good and evil. Um, we all do. And if we, we say we don't, then we're just lying to ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves. It's there. And this, this, the reason that, that this book and then all the remakes of it have done so well is because the things that do well are really the things that are true a little bit inside of us, that we identify with. And people through, through, from the 19th century till today identify with this story because we know that there is truth to it. We know that there is something inside of us that we have to battle so that we can live the way we actually want to live. Paul even said that, that he would sometimes do the things he didn't want to do. Yeah, I've been there. I've done things that, you know, actually deep down, I didn't, I didn't want to do that. Why the heck did I do that? Why did I blow up at my daughter? You know, I mean, she's my daughter. Why would, I, why would you do that? I mean, you, you can talk about all kinds of things. We have this thing, this battle inside of us. So Dr. Jekyll, knowing that there's this internal struggle, creates or has created this potion or this drug that he would take to suppress that, those desires. We've, we, we medicate sometimes. So he's trying to medicate to suppress this. And instead of suppressing, it brings fully out those desires. And he becomes somebody completely different. He becomes somebody, it's described, you know, kind of like a monster. He looks different. So Dr. Jekyll's like this. I mean, Mr. Hyde's like this. Hold on. Dr. Jekyll's like this. Mr. Hyde's like this. Ah, you know, he's, he becomes, it describes that he becomes this almost monster. Um, it, the, the idea is that his, his inner ambitions that are there get, get full force and come out. And as time goes and he continues to try to medicate, it gets worse and worse and worse. And eventually it takes over who he is. There's been a lot of remakes of this. Um, there's, there's books on it. Um, there, there's TV shows. There's been movies. Um, I was talking to my doc daughter about this. She's like, that's kind of like the Hulk. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, they, that's kind of where they got this, this concept. You know, they borrowed that idea into the Hulk. Um, Bugs Bunny. There's a Bugs Bunny um, on this. There's a Phineas and Furbus. And I love this. It's the monster of Phineas and, and Furbenstein. 
Okay, some of you got that. Good, good. Uh, Scooby-Doo, now this is my favorite. Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo, where are you? It says, this is the title, Nowhere to Hide. Nowhere to Jekyll and Hyde. Okay. All right. All right. All right. I like that one. I thought that was creative. I can imagine their creative team, like, sitting around a table, saying, okay, this, we're going to do Scooby-Doo. We're going to kind of put a Jekyll and Hyde type in there. What are we going to name it? And they're throwing out ideas. Somebody says that. They're like, done. Right? Jekyll and, you know, where are you going to hide? Okay. All right. Let me ask you this. What would you do? If for one night you can be somebody else and there's no consequences. You do anything under the sun. There's no consequences. What would you do? I would like to say that I would be a perfect upright citizen, right? Everybody here, right? I'm sure all of you would do the exact right thing the whole time. But somewhere deep down inside of me, I think to myself, a couple million dollars, I could do a lot of good. This is, this, this is the weakness, all right? I could do a lot of good with a couple million dollars. This guy's got billions, and he's not really doing a lot of good. So why don't I redirect his funds, right? I'm not going to steal anything. I'm just going to redirect his funds. Anybody else? Yeah, that, that's, I'm just telling them like, that's what I would do. Well, maybe not. I, hopefully I would resist that urge. Um, but what would you do? Have you ever known somebody who is totally different than you thought they were, who turned out to be very different than you first thought they were? Or even after a little while, you've known them, and then this complete opposite, different side just comes out. That happens. I'm going to tell you a story. Now, uh, is Jared, Jared, good, perfect. Pastor Jared, the, the um, college pastor, and his wife, they're in kids' church today. This is great. Um, so, you know, somebody who is a laid-back person, you know, just, just usually very gentle and laid-back, can become an aggressive, mean-spirited person. Have you ever seen that happen? Yeah? Well, I'm going to tell you at the men's conference. We went to this men's conference. It's part of our, our group of churches, Every Nation. Went down to Jacksonville for the men's conference, and we're playing cornhole. Okay? This gets serious competition. Competition can bring out the worst in some people. Not me. Okay. So we're, we're now some history. Jared, the year before, was, um, I think, like in the semifinals or in the finals or something. Like he did really well. Okay, he paired up with me. I can throw cornhole, but not quite like some of these guys there. They were throwing like four in a row, just dropping them, you know. It's like, no, no walking away. But so we're, we're throwing the cornhole, and I'm not doing great. He's not doing great either. And you can see the, the, the hide coming out, you know, just, just the monster starting to come out. And... Man, it, it, he, we just kept going, and it got worse, and I thought he was going to come and attack me. I thought it was all over. It wasn't really like that. Um, but, you know, pressure, if it's athletic or the pressures of life, can bring out the worst in us 
sometimes. Um, extreme pressure or extended pressure. Um, you know, we begin to try to self-medicate or we go to things or places that aren't good for us. The truth is, there's a little bit of hide in all of us. There's a little bit of the Mr. Hyde in all of us. It's something that we all deal with. We all have internal battles that we, that we fight to, to really rise above and overcome. Um, and, and sometimes they get the best of us. But as Christ followers, you know, we really pray that the grace of God and his strength and the love of Christ helps us not only push those down and overcome them, but expel those from our lives, right? In Christ, we, have, we are victorious. And really, that's what we're exploring in this series. We're going to explore the dangers of hypocrisy outside and inside. And we're going to talk about how Christ in us can overcome um, and that we can live a life that is authentic, that is transparent, that is um, integrous. Uh, and we're going to explore these things through the scriptures and what Jesus has talked about. Good? Good. So we would agree. We all have this proclivity to, to sometimes represent ourselves in a way that is not completely true. Would you say that? Would you, would you agree? Thank you. I needed that. I need more of that. Come on. I like that. Um, we all, when you meet somebody, you know, have a first impression, you want to put what? Your best foot forward, right? You, you only get one first impression. You want to make it good. Um, you know, as a guy, you know, you kind of, you know, suck in your gut a little. We were, we were talking, Davis was making fun of me this morning. Suck in your gut a little, you know, kind of stand up tall, and you get that power lean, power lean, the firm handshake, eye contact. That's how you do a handshake, right? Okay. Suck it in, power lean, firm handshake. That, that's what we do. I feel like I'm always sucking in my gut. It's like, that's how I, I exist. You don't even want to see it if I go out. I'm just going to hold it in. <laughs> Ladies, you want to appear put together. Maybe, you know, an inch or two taller than you really are. You know, that, that, that's, that's normal. It's, it's okay. Um, you know, but the thing is, is the magazine's, in the grocery line that we all pass by over and over and over again, they actually are lying to you. You know, those, those people you see on there are the 0.01%, and they're Photoshopped. I mean, and, and that's what we're basing what we should be like or how we should be. But the truth is, is that God has created us in his image, special and unique, and we can be secure in who we are. We don't have to cave in to, the, to, to the, the image that our culture is trying to present to us. We struggle to be authentic and transparent in who we are because we try to live up to these expectations that are beyond what actually God has for us. Those are ideas of first impressions, but hypocrisy can go even a little deeper than that to small deceptions, right? The, the, the driver of the luxury car, you know, who's actually broke 
and has, has, has no money. He's, he's, he's over-leveraged and leasing this, this beautiful car, putting a, uh, an image of, a, of himself out there of one thing where it's completely different. That's a, a small deception. The, um, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but the, the, you know, the outspoken vegetarian who enjoys his or her bacon occasionally. You know, everybody loves bacon. I, I don't care what you say. Bacon with chocolate. You know, wrap something in bacon, it's better. Am I speaking somebody's language here? You know, we all have these things. Look at Facebook. Okay, the pictures that you post on Facebook. How many shots did you take to get that picture? You know, the angle, you know, the, the stick, the selfie stick, you know, whatever. You know, you're, you're like, all right, that one's good. Or I'm not, that wouldn't be a good one, but yeah, yeah, way up high, looking down the right, the, the right side. And then the filtering. You know, you filter it, you, you pat it, you soften it, you, whatever you can do to make it look good. And then you post it. Now, is there anybody who will not allow their friends to post until you've looked? Come on, tell the truth. Yeah, that's what I thought. There's a couple of you. Yeah. You know, hypocrisy exists in small ways and in big ways. It goes much deeper than first impressions and small deceptions it can go down to the very core of who we are, and it can harm both us and the people around us. You know, the, so far it's been kind of talked about in a light way, and even those things aren't great. Um, and we don't have to, you know, uh, make ourselves something that we're not. But it can go so much deeper than this. Um, hypocrisy speaks really of a, of a duality in, inside of us. And the word hails from the Greek, um, and it literally means like a stage actor or a pretender, um, where you've got a, a mask on and you become some, somebody else. My daughter just was in New York. My, my parents came and took her on a trip to New York. They're gonna, they did that um, as a, a one-off with each kid. So they took her on a trip to New York, and they went to see um, both Aladdin and Wicked. She's, she's like a preteen. How is she going to do this? I haven't even seen those. But, right, so she's, they're there, and they are losing themselves in this production, right? But the, the actors, really, to become who they are on that stage, for those couple hours, they really lose themselves in their character and in who they are to, to convince you that this is real, that this is happening right before you. Um, and really, that's what this idea is, is coming from, this idea of hypocrisy, is coming from that idea of becoming somebody different at times than you really are, playing a part or pretending to be, but you're different deep down inside. And you lose yourself in that. You know, you think of the family man who's in bondage to pornography or something like that. A good person who has a tough time loving the people closest to them. Everybody else thinks they're amazing and a good person. 
You know, there's, there's hypocrisy that goes deep down. Christians who harbor bitterness and anger and refuse to allow that to go. Refuse to forgive. Refuse to, to, to step aside from that. And who are these things hurting the most? It's yourself. And they begin like Mr. Hyde. They begin to take over more and more of the space inside of you and eat up more and more of who you are if you allow them to stay there. They don't just stay pushed down. They begin to take over. They begin to eat away. We learn to simply play a part, to put on the mask, while inside the, the, those areas are, being, are growing and are, are taking over and we're struggling to contain them. You know, we, in our culture, we look around and we see so clearly hypocrisy in, in politics. It's there. And we can see it. You know, you don't, have to, you don't have to try hard. You can see it, right? In business, it's there. You can see it. You know, Enron, if we just go back a little while, but over and over again, it's there. We can see it in our family, other family members around us. Yet the thing is, is that it's hard to see inside of ourselves a lot of times. Why? Why do you think sometimes hypocrisy is hard to see in you, yourself? Everybody else may see it. Deception and pride. Exactly. We, we justify it and we overlook it. We, we, we give ourselves like liberalities or clearance to, to no, that's really not me. That, that's not the real me. It's, you know, it's just over there. We'll just keep that in a box over here. This is who I really am. And we, and we act like it's not there. Or we're just unwilling to deal with it because it's too hard. In this series, we're asking the question and trying to explore the idea that are we, you and I, and I've, I've been wrestling with myself, are we who we really say we are? Is there duplicity inside of us? Or is there integrity between our inner and outer self? Who are we behind closed doors? Is there, is there a darkness that, that rises up when there's pressure or when things are, are difficult? You have to ask yourself, you know, what's in my heart? And you have to pray like David did. Examine my heart. Is there any wickedness inside of me? He didn't see it, but he's asking. I think we all need to at least get there. We all need to at least get to the place where we say, God, is there any wickedness inside of me? I don't want it there. And I think that's, I think that's all of our hearts, right? We don't want it there. And we have to get to the place where we say, God, reveal it to me. 
I want to deal with that. It's easy to justify and minimize our own hypocrisy, yet see it easily in everybody else around us. Jesus, we're getting in there. Ready? Jesus addresses hypocrisy over and over and over again, especially in the religious leaders. He exhorts them um, in Matthew 6 to, to give the tithe and to do good deeds without looking for accolades. That was a real problem. They would, they would do, they would, the, the Pharisees would do all the things that the law demanded, but they would want all to be seen by everybody else around them. And Jesus said, that's hypocrisy. To, to pray, each of these, he uses this word, hypocrisy, or, or something like it. To pray behind closed doors instead of in public, Luke 18. He says, go behind closed doors. Don't get out in public and just be shouting. Go and meet with me. He says in, in Matthew 7 that we need to remove hypocrisy out of our lives before it takes over, before it gets us. Hypocrisy, it upset Jesus. In Matthew 23, 23 and 24, just listen to the tone of, the, of, of, of this. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. For you care to tithe even the tiniest income from your herd garden, but you ignore the most important aspects of the law. What are those? Justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, please, tithe, you should do that. But don't neglect the important things. And he goes on. He didn't stop there. He says, blind guides, you strain water so, so that you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees right there, he's saying religious leaders, he's saying you're missing it. You're missing it. You're trying to, to do everything just perfect. But you're missing the real heart of what this is about. You're missing it completely. This passage we're going to look at today is from Luke 10. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus cuts through all the hypocrisy and all the questions and all the justifications and he gets right down to the heart of what this is. It starts off um, just before that in Luke 10, 25, where a religious leader comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Good question, right? Jesus replies, What does the book of Moses, the, the, the writings of Moses, the law of Moses say? Which is the first five books of the Bible. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, 
and with all your mind. That comes from Deuteronomy. This next part comes from Leviticus. And he says to love your neighbor as yourself. See, this guy who was questioning Jesus, he was an expert in the law. He knew the law backwards and forward. He picked out the two verses that summed up, later Jesus talks about, that sums up all the law and the prophets. He knew it. He knew exactly, and he knew the interpretation of the law, and he knew all the, the, the different ramifications of it. He was a lawyer. Jesus answers. He says, yeah, do this and you will live. Do this and you'll have eternal life. But the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He's trying to, trying to say, okay, you know, I know that the, the law is that, but I'm not sure I can do that, right? I'm not sure I can love God like that and love my neighbor like that. And Jesus knew that. I, I'm not sure I could do that. So the man wants to justify his actions. This is often where we go when we see something inside of ourselves or we have this idea that there's something in us that isn't supposed to be there. We begin to justify it or push it down or try to minimize it. And Jesus replied in this story, he says, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of their clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. So Jesus goes into a story to try to tease this out. And this was no surprise that this man on this road was beat dead. He's using an illustration that happened often. This road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a, a short road, but it was windy. There's cliffs, and it, it, it went from a high elevation to a low elevation. And there was often bandits who would wait behind the curves. And it was known as the way of blood, this, this road. So usually they would try to probably go together or, or you know, try to you know, go in the middle of the day. But this guy was beaten and left for dead. It goes on. And it talks about how this Pharisee, this religious leader is walking down the road, sees the guy there, and literally goes to the other side of the road and walks by. Where was this guy coming from? He was coming from Jerusalem. The, he, was a, he was a priest. I said Pharisee earlier. I meant priest. He was a priest. He just came from his religious duties and is walking down to Jericho, probably going home. Maybe he was in a rush to see his family. You know, maybe, you know, maybe he didn't want to be unclean in case he, the, the guy was dead because he was left half dead. There could be a million reasons we don't know. The scripture doesn't say. But this religious leader chose to go to the other side. And then a, a, another religious leader, the helper in the temple, the Levite. He comes, he checks on the guy. Yeah, he's not doing well. And then continues on his way without doing anything to help. 
And now we pick up there. And this is where Jesus really just kind of puts his finger right in to this, this guy, the, the lawyer's heart. It says, then a despised Samaritan, these guys didn't get along, came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. What did he do? The Samaritan, he felt compassion for him. The, the scripture says he goes over there, he, he helps the man up, he bandages his wounds, he takes time, he, he takes him to an inn, gives the innkeeper money, and says, I'll be back. Any other expenses you have, I'll take care of. Wow. You know, I think of myself, I, I hope that would be what I would do. But that guy was going somewhere too. He had somewhere to be. He wasn't just traveling that road for fun. It continues on. It says, now, Jesus asked this question to the, to, to the lawyer. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus said, the one who showed mercy. Of course, that wasn't a trick question. It was pretty obvious, right? It's the one who showed mercy. Yes, now, and go and do the same. You see here that Jesus is... <laughs> He's, he's making this so clear to this guy that it's not about trying to keep the letter of the law. It's not about appearing one way. It's about having compassion. It's about having mercy. It's about extending my love to those who are in need of my love. If you walk upon a person in need, help them. Don't walk by the other side. He's making it so clear. There's a modern-day example of this. <clears throat> um, there's an experiment that, at Princeton University in 1973, um, before most of us maybe were born, a few of us not. Um, I'm close. I'm right on the edge of that one. <laughs> um, they, they had these seminary students who were studying this passage of Scripture. And they were going from one building walking along a path on the campus to another building. And they were going to give a presentation and speak about the story of the Good Samaritan. Does this sound fun? So <laughs> these guys are studying to be pastors and religious leaders. They're walking a path from one building to another, and they're going to go and talk about helping somebody else. On their way, they pass a guy who could either be seen as drunk or, you know, or homeless and needing of help. And what happened, do you guys think? Many of them walked by. Man, I'd like to think if that, I, that I would stop. But many of these guys who, they loved God. They, they, wanted, to, they wanted to serve God. They walked by. And the, the study attributed it, and, and some would stop, 
but the study attributed it to how urgent they said they needed to be there. So if they needed to be there quickly, almost nobody would stop. If they said, you've got 10, 15 minutes, why don't you walk over that building, something like that, the probability of stopping went higher. And they, they said that when these people came into the room over here to give their presentation, they often looked a little flustered. Like they did, there was this, this, you know, kind of wrestling inside of them that I'm coming over to give a speech on the Good Samaritan, but I just walked by somebody to get here who was in need of help. And there's this kind of struggling and wrestling inside of them. And I think it just shows that there's that, there's that kind of dichotomy or that thing inside of us that kind of comes up, especially when we're busy or the pressure's on or something's happening, that keeps us from doing the things we actually want to do. Right? We have to resolve in ourselves that we are going to be people who don't pass by, who don't walk by. We extend compassion and mercy. And we do it because we know we have been given an amazing amount of mercy and love and compassion from the King of Kings. That he stepped out of heaven, walked among us, lived the perfect life, took our place on the cross, rose again so that we could have life to the fullest and so that then his spirit can fill us with his love and compassion and that we can respond to that by loving God and loving others and not just saying it like that, that religious lawyer who knew exactly what he's supposed to do but would have walked right by. Wanting to do good and act right is not enough. In this story of the Good Samaritan, we see that the religious leaders walked by. They knew what they, knew what they should do, but they walked by. If you're, and I think that that's really where most of us struggle, is just extending compassion and mercy in the right time. Sometimes there's some things inside of us that are cropping up that aren't right, bitterness or things like that. But a lot of times it's just a day-to-day living. Now, if you're the person who's married and is cheating on your wife or your husband, then this is clear, and you're disguising it, then this is clearly duplicity. This is clearly something that you need to stop and repent and turn to God and come out, come clean. If you're struggling with a drug problem or an addiction or alcohol or pornography or any of those types of things, these are clear-cut things that we're hiding and we're pushing down, and they will eat you up. They will destroy who you are. No matter how much you try to act like something else, those will kill you. We need to repent from those. We need to ask for help. We are here to walk that path with you with no judgment because we are all sinners and fallen short of the glory of God. But only by his grace and mercy can we walk in fullness of life. But for many of us, it's not as blatant or clear as that. 
the battle that we fight is that of, of doing what we know we should do and then walking in God's power in his grace and his mercy to extend God's love to our neighbor. So the question is, who are you today? Who are you when you leave church? Who are you when you're all alone? Who are you on Friday night? Is, is, does our, our, our life line up with what God says we should be and who we are in him? Our goal for this series is for us to recognize that our natural propensity is to cover up sin and our rough edges. It's to cover it up and to push it down and to put it in a box. But that's not the answer. Our goal is that we would pledge to become transparent, pledge to to you know, reveal these things and allow Jesus to come and rid us of those areas of our lives. That he would bring his grace and his mercy and we would receive that inside of us. That we would gain freedom by the power of, of his strength. We gain freedom by his love and by his grace in our lives.